The Persistent and Nasty Podcast is a series of interviews and informal discussions with inspiring women and other marginalised voices in theatre, film and beyond. From actors to activists, we aim to amplify these voices and invite the world to stay nasty. Hello you gorgeous law and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty Podcast. Elaine here, how are you all doing? I hope you're looking after yourselves, being kind to yourself and each other. This week, eh, what a week! Um, Obviously International Women's Day has been and for those of you who may have missed it, um, the Scottish Government announced on International Women's Day that they were issuing a formal apology to the thousands of people who were prosecuted as witches during the witch trials in Scotland. This is an amazing um, move by the Scottish Government and it's been a huge amount of work by previous guests of ours who uh, have the Witches of Scotland podcast um, Zoe Vendetotsi and Claire Madison Mitchell QC. The work that they have done over the past two years to get to this point is just incredible and I want to say a huge congrats, both Louise and I want to say a huge congratulations to them and everybody else who has fought for this and has made this change. It really is exciting and um, it was in the New York Times this week and so proud of Scotland to be leading the way and taking ownership and responsibility for things that have happened in our past and there's more that we need to do on that we know that and uh, I'm sure well I hope that um, that move to take responsibility and accountability um, for those things will continue and because of that um, we have really special guest this week we are joined by actress writer director filmmaker Julia Campanelli Julia is an American actress and she has a project um, which is based on the Paisley witch trials this is a labor of love and a passion of hers and the amount of research and time that she has spent uh, writing this script which I'm sure when the film is made will be incredible. Julia also discusses um, having been an actress and how she felt the roles were missing and therefore created her own theatre company, then went back to school to train to be a filmmaker, um, her admiration for the various female cinematographers, but how there isn't enough recognition for them and we talk about how as much as women are moving forward in our in, in the film industry um, is still slow and how that needs to change. A really great, interesting, thought-provoking episode. A great history one, so something a little bit different. You can follow us on all social media. Twitter at Persistent Nasty, Instagram at Persistent and Nasty, Facebook Persistent and Nasty, Send us a wee email to persistentandnasty at gmail.com. Remember to like, subscribe, review and download the episodes. It really does make such a huge difference um, to those pesky algorithms. We're always amazed by the fact of where our podcast reaches across the world. Um, but we want as many of you to hear the amazing guests that we have and their stories. So please, if you can, just even give each episode a wee thumbs up. For those of you who wish to support us, as you know, we are still currently unfunded. You can pop the price of a cuppa into our PayPal account, link in the episode notes. I think that's enough chat from me, really. Um, So for today's episode, I suggest, oh, maybe a wee whiskey, iron brew. I'm giving you all the Scottish stuff here. Uh, we hot chocolate or what else? Oh, um, you know, glass of wine is always good. As I like to say, you can always just have a good old cup of tea. Sit back, 
relax and enjoy. Welcome Julia Campanelli to the Persistent and Nasty podcast. Yay! Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for reaching out on this very, very uh, exciting week. Really exciting and it feels so apt to be talking to you today with everything that has happened this week and indeed the podcast will actually be going out tomorrow so it's really exciting that everybody's going to get to hear it. I know I'm super fast in the turnaround these days. (laughs) (laughs) The joy of, uh, well joy is maybe stretching it but one of the bonuses of uh, lockdown has been my editing skills have been improved. I think for all of us, yeah. I think so. Yeah. A lot of our skills that we never really knew we needed. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, thank you for joining us. You're in New York just now? I am in New York. I'm in Manhattan. Lovely. How is it in Manhattan? It's uh, cold right now, but the, this month in March, the temperature goes up and down. We had 70 degrees a few days ago, and then yesterday we had snow. So, you know, it's what it is. It's March. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, we're... We are not quite at 70 degrees in Scotland, but it is up and down. Where in Scotland are you? Where in Scotland are you? We're both in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. So not far from Paisley. No, not far at all. No, we're not far from Paisley at all. Um, and I, I have a quite a close connection to Paisley because I do a lot of work there as a creative producer. I produce the Paisley Book Festival and um, do a lot of uh, creative projects out in Paisley. So it's all happening in Paisley. A very creative community out there. It's very creative. Community. I'm sure you know. I am. Um, I'm partnered with the Renfrewshire Witch Hunt Trust. Amazing. Uh, I don't know if you know those people, Liz Gardner and Annette Whitelaw. I know of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let, me, um, let me start by introducing myself so that you, our listeners, know why is this American on your... <laughs> <laughs> we love it we, we love to be as international as possible and mm-hmm. i love that you brought up paisley because it's a perfect little um se- uh, segue into segue. <laughs> well especially this week because uh the first minister nicola sturgeon and scottish parliament gave an official apology to the over four thousand scots who were persecuted under the witchcraft act of 1563 and Uh, A little bit about me. Uh, I'm Julia Campanelli. I'm an artist, award-winning screenwriter, director, producer, and actress in New York City. I'm a Raindance Fellow and a Stowe Story Lab Fellow. I'm I'm the founder and executive producer of Shelter Film, which is dedicated to changing the narrative in front of and behind the camera with projects by or about women, Blacks, Indigenous, people of color, and other underrepresented humans. I mean, we couldn't be more in sync, really. <laughs> we find each other, I think. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely do. We, we find our community. I moved to New York a long time ago to pursue acting, and I was very frustrated with the roles available to me as a young woman actress. Um, it was arm candy or prostitutes. And I realized that there were no female playwrights or directors represented on Broadway, off-Broadway, off-off-Broadway. I thought, well, that's why the roles aren't very good. So I created, I founded and was artistic director for Shelter Theatre Group. Uh, It was a nonprofit theatre company dedicated to new plays by or about women. And I directed 13 site-specific stage productions in New York City including the critically acclaimed Macbeth on the Lower East Side. It was at that point I decided I needed to reach a a wider audience. So I shut the theater company down temporarily, went back to school to learn how to make film. And then I formed a founded and am executive producer for Shelter Film, which is a, a... small independent film company in New York. And as an actress, I'm known for NBC Universal's Dimension 13, the film 116, Kill the Monsters, One Life to Live, and Hecate in the Obie, Drama Desk, and Outer Critics Circle award-winning immersive show, Sleep No More. And it's because of Sleep No More that I became introduced to the Paisley Witches. I had never heard of them. Uh, Sleep No More is an immersive show. It's a dance production. Um, 
created by Felix Barrett in, at Punch Drunk in London. You may have heard of them. The show was brought to the States, became a huge hit. I, I think it opened in 2012 when I joined the show, and it's still running. They had to shut down for pandemic, and they just reopened on Valentine's Day. So it's 10 years they've been running. I mean, it's just a massive hit here. And I played Hecate, and I also had a secondary role. If you had a primary role and a secondary role, my secondary role was Margaret Lang, which, which was a hospital nurse. There were several hospital nurses based on the Paisley witches, Margaret Lang, Catherine Campbell, and Christian Shaw, who started the whole thing in 1696. So being the dedicated actress I am, I did uh, deep research into, you know, the Paisley witches. I'm like, why have I never heard of these before? Fascinating story. And again, I thought, why isn't this story? I mean, we have the Salem witch trials here in this country, which was very small compared to the 200 years of, of witch hunts that Scotland had. And I think it's because we were a very new country. I mean, you know, we were very young and we were less than 100 years old. But I thought, then I realized that, well, it's, it's women's stories, you know, so that's why nobody knows about it. That's why I didn't know about it. And I, I know a lot about history, you know. So I started doing research on it and I just became fascinated by the whole uh, circumstances surrounding the execution. And it was listed, it, it, it was called the last mass execution in Western Europe. And then I thought, man, why isn't this, you know, uh, why, is, why isn't this story being told? And so I just thought, I immediately thought this would make a great screenplay and that would be one way of getting the story out. And the research that I did, I did a, you know, I'm still doing research. I mean, the research does not end because as we discover more and more things about the witch trials and other subjects that were related, I, um, in my research, I discovered that there was a connection between this particular witch trial, I can't speak for all the witch trials in Scotland, but this particular one and Scotland's participation in the transatlantic slave trade, which again, blew my mind. And that led me on another path of research because I didn't know that there were enslaved blacks in Scotland in the 17th century. And I learned through my research that Scotland owned, well, while slavery was not recognized in Scotland, Scottish plantation owners from the West Indies were permitted to bring their enslaved Africans to Scotland for whatever reason, to learn, to apprentice them, to learn a trade or to keep them and have them work for them. And when I was researching the transcripts from the Paisley Witch Trial, I'm sure you, you're probably familiar with the story. Christian Shaw was an 11-year-old girl from a wealthy family. The Shaws owned their estate for 300 years. It had been in their family. In August of 1696, she had a sudden onset of very bizarre fits and seizures and paralyses and she was vomiting pins and straw and braids of hair and hot coals. And her parents took her to local doctors and then they took her to a very esteemed doctor, best doctor in Glasgow, a doctor, Matthew Brisbane, who could find nothing physically wrong with her. And I think that's when the clergy stepped in and said, you know, we think it might be, you know, metaphysical. Um, and at the time, the belief in witches and devils was very real because it was dictated by the church. The church was very, very powerful uh, in, in the day-to-day -day lives of people. It was Scotland, I think, for the 17th century had gone through three or four major religious conversions. So it was a time of, of instability, which, you know, can... can make people sometimes do things they wouldn't normally do under good circumstances. And from what I've learned uh, at the time in 1696, the 
religion was very fire and brimstone, very fire and brimstone. And the clergy was very powerful. They were the police. They, they, you know, it was a very religious society and, and the church really controlled everything, you, you know, your daily lives. I mean, you, they preached the belief in the devil and they preached the belief in witches because without the devil or without the devil, there, there was no need for, for God or belief in God. So you can't really have one without the other. So Christian, uh, at some point, named about 30 people as her tormentors. And they were local people, people that she had seen. For the most part, they were vagabond beggars, entire families, midwives, uh, town drunks. You know, um, there was a very um, wide uh, social divide in terms of the classes. And these people were rounded up, they were arrested, and they were tortured for several months until five confessants came forward. And the confessants were three siblings, Elizabeth, James, and Thomas Lindsay, and two elderly sisters, the Rogers sisters, Janet and Margaret. And after several months of torture, sure, I mean, you would say anything to, to, get, to get some sleep. They were sleep deprived, they were um, starved. There were other tortures that were put on them, thumb screws and some, some other things. And they all admitted that they had met the devil and the devil was a black man. Now, when I read that, being an American in a country that has its own almost mirror, uh, shameful history of enslaving blacks and slave trade, uh, that that got me wondering were, were there blacks at this time in in Scotland? And I found out through the, the research was a long time, but I found um, a lot of academics now have found evidence that yes, they were. I mean, through through various methods that they have of research. So I thought, well, I I can't really write this story without including that in the film because it seems to be a part of the film. It seems to be, you know, the, the evil twins, evil twins of history, um, misogyny and racism or sexism and racism. So I, but, but I thought this isn't my story. You know, I'm very conscious of being accountable to the communities that I'm writing about. And I reached out to, people at the trust and and some people in the black community in Scotland and what they came back with was look nobody else is writing the story both of these stories are at risk of being entirely forgotten and erased there needs to be a record and I thought okay now go ahead and write it and my reasons for writing it uh, were threefold one, to see if I could um, get the Scottish government to issue an apology, which the witches of Scotland have recently done that. So that's, that's one thing checked off my list. To get an official pardon for all of those people who were wrongly convicted of witchcraft, which isn't real. And to create some sort of memorial to those people who suffered under the Witchcraft Act. And I... I intend to use this film as a living memorial, as a, as a history of what happened. It is historical history, but it is, I, I tried very hard to remain true to, to the facts. And I think I've done that. And the, uh, the screenplay, it's in a, both feature and pilot versions, have gotten some, some, very good industry recognition. Uh, they've collectively won 12 Best Screenplay Awards, including the Raindance Film Festival Best Unproduced Screenplay just last November, as well as Francis Ford Coppola's American Zoetrope Screenplay Competition as a finalist. So I'm currently um, in early development in the process of working with a UK production company 
um, trying to see if we can get some talent and some directors attached so that we can start in attracting investors. This has been quite a journey for me, mm. and I couldn't have done it without the help of uh, the Renfrewshire Witch Hunt Trust. I reached out to them. I, I kept seeing their name online. So I reached out to them by email, said, you know, this is what I'm doing. Um, I was wondering if you can give me any leads on some research or where I should be looking, because it's a little hard to do it across the pond. And they did give me some very good references. The Mitchell Library in Glasgow, in particular, has quite a lot of information. And it has uh, John Shaw's journal that he kept on the torment of his daughter, Christian Shaw, in their archives. So I, um, so I had a, a long email correspondence, and we started... Uh, uh, we, we started Zooming uh, after pandemic. And, uh, but I, I did go over there. I went over in 2018 to meet them and to visit the sites that I had written into my screenplay. I have um, a scene in Paisley Abbey. I have a scene, um, well, the prison was the toll house, which is no longer there. But I was looking at Proven Hall, looks very busy. And I'm looking for an estate that can be used as sort of a back lot because the majority of the scenes of, of the trial, the trial was held at the Bagaran estate in the Shaw family house. And a lot of this, a lot of the scenes take place there. And then of course, Gallo Green, where the execution happened. So of the 30, five confessants came forward and based on their testimony, uh, eight people were identified as the tormentors of Christian Shaw and as witches. And seven of them were executed. John Reed uh, was one of them. He hung himself in his cell before he could be executed. And the, the other seven were Margaret Lang, uh, Catherine Campbell, Agnes Naismith, Margaret Fulton, uh, John Lindsay of Barlock, and John and James Lindsay, otherwise known as the bishop and the curate. They were known to be witches. You know, they were thought to be witchy, whatever that meant. And at the time, there were so many, there were so many extenuating, extenuating circumstances that would make people believe that, that these people could do something that really only God could do if you were a, a religious society. Um, there were just a series of morbid events happening in Scotland and in Paisley. There was, I think, a two-year famine. There was, it was the coldest winter in the history of Scotland. Uh, there were very mysterious um, infanticides, like sudden infant death, we call it here in the States, but two incidences of infants, healthy infants just dying in their beds. Um, Christian Shaw grandfather disappeared while crossing a river on horseback. And his body was found months later, um, fully clothed and with his purse on him, but not in the river. It was found, it had been moved. Um, but his, his right hand and his genitals had been uh, removed and his feet had been slashed. And it was assumed that this was some sort of Black magic. Um, so all of those things, you know, and it was being very religious society. Um, you know, it was it, it wasn't one thing. I think I think religion played the biggest part because they really drove this, you know, based on the belief in witches and the belief in the devil. So, you know, it was really tragic what happened to them. And I'm I'm glad that I you know I I found out this information about them and was able to put it down in a screenplay that's been received so well and hopefully will be made into a film that everyone can then see that in, that uh, pain inflicted um, suffering endured and injustice done. 
which is the plaque of the memorial at Max Walton Cross. And I did go there. And that I actually include that in the screenplay. I include the the, the, the ashes of the uh, witches that were burned at the stake being buried at Max Walton Cross. At the time, I don't believe it was called that. And then fast forward to the cross as it is today, or the, the memorial that is that is there today. So I visited all those places when I was there, and then I went to the Mitchell Library, and they had a treasure trove of information, including the journal of, of, of John Shaw, of his daughter's torment. And I actually, and I couldn't believe they, they when I, I had, I had preserved it online, you know, by email. And they said, it's in our archive, so, you know, it's a separate section and you can't take anything in with you. You have to lock up all of your belongings. You can take a pencil and paper. I'm like, okay. And when I was, when I checked into the library, I said, what is this manuscript that, that, that has been reserved for me? Because they had pulled a box full of documents and books. And they said, oh, it's, it's, it's the diary. John Shaw's diary. Are you serious? I'm like, I, 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 I just, I was shaking. I was so excited. And I said, but it, it is a writer it, that's like, oh, um, like his diary of the, of the, I was like, can I, can I, is it under glass? I mean, it's old, you know, it's, it's an old document. It's older than the United States constitution. And I was like, oh no, no, it, you, you can look at it. Just make sure your hands are clean. I said, do I have to wear <laughs> Do I have to wear gloves? They said, no, just make, I can't do a Scottish accent. She's like, no, just make sure your hands are clean. I'm like, wow. So went into the archive section and there were just a couple of people sitting there at tables reading. And I read, tried to read through this entire document, which is, you know, it's about 11 by 14 inches and it's leather bound, but it's, you know, it's so old. It looks almost like cardboard and the pages, it's all the, that's very um, curve, curve, curvy handwriting. So it really gave me quite a headache um, to reading it, but I made it all the way through. And when I got to the end, and the end of it had the confession, confessions at the stake. So I read Margaret Lang confession at the stake. And while she did not confess, but by the way, Margaret Lang is the protagonist of the screenplay. Uh, she did not confess. She confessed to to committing a, a lustful act, um, and she condemned herself to the devil. But she denied ever tormenting Christian Shaw or doing any of the things that she was accused of. And I got to the end. I was like, "Wow, that was intense!" And I I closed the back cover of it, and half of the ceiling lights went out at that moment. I thought. And I looked around and nobody else noticed it. And I thought, oh, I'm the only one who saw it. Like, oh my God, it's, it's Margaret Lang. She's telling me to do this. She's telling me to write this. And I just totally had a complete freak out internally for about five minutes. And then I noticed the librarian got up and started walking over to me. I thought, oh my God, she knows this has happened before. She's going to come over and tell me and, and verify this. And she stood behind me and she started waving her arms and the lights came back on. And she said, oh, you know, they're, they're motion detected that they go out sometimes if nobody moves. And I thought, no, no, it was Margaret Lang. It was, it was Margaret Lang. Absolutely telling me to do this. So <laughs> that was my little story, <laughs> freaking out in the Mitchell Library. I am with you on that, Julia. I think it was uh, Margaret Lang. I don't care Absolutely. if they're motion sensors. I believe it was a sign from yes. the code. Yeah. And then, of course, um, Liz Gardner and Annette Whitelaw of the Renfrewshire Witch Hunt Trust put me in touch with the Witches of Scotland, which was had just started their campaign in 2020. So they reached out to me and asked me if I'd be a guest on their podcast. And I was in the, you know, the beginning, I was on episode nine and got to speak about this project and, you know, a little bit of my research. And so much more research has come forward and is now available than it was even two years ago uh, about the witch trials and also about the transatlantic slave trade. There's, there have been great, great advances in, in, in the research in that. So, 
you know, I'm very excited, as you can tell, about this project. And I, you know, I can't wait for people to see it. You know, making a film is a very long process, um, just in development and getting it made and attaching cast and crew and getting investors to believe in your, you know, your vision. So, um, you know, fingers crossed this, this will happen. So, yeah, so that's my Paisley witch trial story. So I know, I don't know about the other, other witches that were executed, but I know a lot about the Paisley witches. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those ones, um, I only found out about the Paisley witch trials maybe a few years ago. And I, it was a, it was a podcast. It was actually an American podcast. Um, really? Yeah, it was, um, I, I listened to a lot of true crime mm-hmm. and um, it was a podcast called a uh, morbid and um the don't just do true crime they sometimes do um, historical stories that are a little bit unusual and then they happen to do this one um and Louise had just started working in Paisley actually um and I was texting you like did you know about this (laughs) um but Louise is also writing a play about um the witches of Scotland really um kind of all over so Mm -hmm. She already knew. I was a bit behind on the uptake. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think the thing that I think part of the reason why people maybe don't know about it so much and certainly um, about the Atlantic slave trade in Scotland is this sense of hiding from our history. Absolutely. It was it was erased uh, uh, after the unification of the UK and then the abolition of slavery act. Scotland's official story claim was well regarding slavery it was England it wasn't us and that story held for a long time at least 100 years and I just thought why can't I you know I was wondering why can't I find any information about Scotland and the slave trade and then I came upon this book and I'm, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation but it it winnie it us w wisney us w-i-s wisney us um uh, his name, the author's name, I can't remember. Oh gosh, what's his name? Stephen. Forgive me, I can't remember. All right, we can find wrote out about the the erasure, the the whitewashing of that part of their history. And I thought that yeah, this and the witch trials, because this was like you know we need to shed a light on both of those because history is written by the victors. And there are the stories of victories. And, you know, there are other people's stories that have never been told. And the Paisley Witches is one of them. And certainly the, the enslaved Blacks in Scotland is another one. And they, they need, people need to know about this. You know, people, I feel. So this, is, this has been my mission for a few years now. Yes, it's so important. And I think as well... There's a sense, I think, just across Europe that we tend not to talk about the witch trials in general across Europe. And um, I think, I personally think part of that is when Arthur Miller wrote The Crucible, it Mm -hmm. took that attention away from actually what the trials were like in Europe and made it focus on Salem. When, as you've said yourself, actually Salem in comparison with some of the other trials that happened across Europe is on a much smaller scale with the amount of people that lost their life and um, not that that um, matters how many people it was but it's the fact that that's been put on almost been put onto America and it's like Europe's going mm. oh yeah we 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 don't know what you're talking about we'll just ignore well, that um because Germany I as well were really all, um, all of Europe had had witches or people they accused of witchcraft but I think I think one of the main reasons is that certainly in Scotland of the 4,000 people accused, and I think that's, I think that's a low estimation because sometimes they didn't always um, record the children that they accused. So of, of the 4,000 that we know of, 84% of them were women. So it was a women's story, which, you know, it's not her story, it's his story. So I think that's a big, I think that was a big influence on it as well. Well, it was women, you know. Yeah. <laughs> nobody nobody wants, wants to hear about them. Yeah, nobody wants to hear about that, right? Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's misogyny, you know, and, and it's still important. It's so important. 
that this apology came from the first minister this week because there is such misogyny still against women. Women are still being accused of witchcraft in other countries. So this, I think, Scotland has really set a, an international precedent that witchcraft is not real and governments should be held accountable for that. They should make sure that their, that their citizens, whatever country it is, are not falsely accused of crimes that are impossible, that they, they don't exist. They're made up crimes. So it really is, you know, Claire Madison Mitchell QC and Zoe Venditazzi, two years that they've been working at this. And they're, and when I met them, I, you know, it was, it was, it was a, a wonderful surprise that, that their three goals for their campaign were, were so similar to mine. Apology, pardon, and a memorial. So, yeah, I just thought it was a, a, a wonderful, um, very serendipitous that we met. Yeah. And look where we are today. I know. We had uh, Claire and Zoe on the podcast actually last year. It could be round about this time, actually, mm -hmm. which is so, I think it's almost to the date, which is mm -hmm. Oh, so the beginning of their last year. So it was around International Women's Day, which was... A year. Yeah, I think we were maybe just after um, our uh, podcast with uh, Claire and Zoe. Yeah, it's um, just when you mention about uh, obviously our first minister and the kind of people being accused of witches, I'm sure that you are probably aware of how often <laughs> Nicola Sturgeon is called a witch on social media. Oh my goodness, media. I follow her on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, it's she is. Um, position of power is called a witch and the word witch and bitch are interchangeable mm -hmm. historically um i did a lot of research into the language um in in my screenplay so i have you know an older form of english scots language also gaelic and also ganayan chui akan chui which is where um, the enslaved blacks came from Western, that, that part of Western Africa. And in Chui, I, I believe the word witch and bitch are, are interchangeable. So, you know, that, that whole image of a woman, female animal, it just, it just fascinates me that, that women have been aligned or misaligned for just since the beginning of time so so I, I can't state enough the importance of of what scotland's scotland's parliament did this week and it's getting a lot of notice i mean the new york times wrote about it yesterday and if the new york times writes about it so it's like i it didn't notice that i thought yes yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm trying to get them a little more interested in it because it, it's not just Scotland, it's everywhere. It's everywhere and it applies to everyone. Yeah. It's it's so it's so huge. It's such a big deal, particularly in relation to your point about language, because um there's this book, I'm sure you've come across it in your own research, Julia, which is Sluts and Feminists. Yes. And it talks a lot about the um the weaponization of language mm -hmm. um and how you know the word witch being interchangeable with bitch and and slut and then and the negative connotations that come along with using the word feminist over time and and just yeah, the, yeah. the weighty power of accusing someone as a witch in a particular period of time was practically a death sentence and oh it was if, if not a death sentence then banishment or mm -hmm. your end of any employment that you might have had or you would be banished not only from your families but from your town you'd have to relocate i mean it, it just you know it's it's it, it was the church telling you that you were akin to the devil. And in a hyper-religious society, forget about it. We have to kill, you know, the, the quote from the Bible. That's what they used as, in, in their arguments at the trial was, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. It says it right in the Bible. I have Christian Shaw quoting, quoting that in the screenplay. You know, she, she I mean, I, it's historical fiction, but it's, it's based on historical uh, events and eyewitness accounts. Um, some of the, the literature I found 
what people people there, you know, written by the clergy, um, papers written by the clergy who witnessed a lot of it. I mean, just amazing that some of the things that that Christian, uh, some of her torments as they were recorded, that had her flying about the room, witnesses to that. So I think in a hyper-religious, you know, in a religious frenzy, they didn't have Twitter then, but they had word of mouth and gossip was rampant. So you've got one person who may have been present at, you know, people from what I, from what I researched at the Shaw estate, people did come and, and witness, you know, the ministers praying over Christian Shaw and they did witness some of her, some of her seizures and her torments and, that person, and maybe she had epilepsy, maybe she had some sort of something where she would be, you know, bouncing on a bed or a physical, you know, seizure. One person says that, and if, you know, you're in a religious frenzy kind of mind, you'll go and tell your neighbor, you'll never believe what I saw. She was levitating off the bed. And then that person tells somebody else, and you'll never believe what I heard. She was flying around the room. I mean, it's you know, it's, it's, it's what, unfortunately what happens. And then people tend to believe if you just have a bad reputation and for women at that, at that time in the 17th century, up and well until still today, um, a, a woman's reputation is her only currency. I mean, that was the case in the 17th century. You know, if you, you know, had a child out of wedlock, or if you even kissed, you know, what was considered lustful, holding hands with a man who wasn't a member of your family. Or, um, and that word of that got out, if somebody witnessed that. That's why women were never unchaperoned. They were never in the company of a man by themselves, because just being alone in a room with a man would ruin your reputation, and then you wouldn't be marriable. And that, you know, women's women's roles at the time were to produce an heir or to produce children and take care of a husband. Um, so, and it's, it's also, I find it also very interesting that the witches were, uh, the accused, those people who were accused of witchcraft and Paisley were forgotten. But Christian Shaw then went on to become a highly successful businesswoman. Uh, she and her family created the, um, fine thread industry in Paisley, which then grew into the textile industry for which Paisley was known up until, I think, the 60s, when, I don't know what happened, but the industry kind of died out, I think. And it was said that, you know, the um, memorial at Max Walton Cross, there was a horseshoe placed over it, and, and it was believed that if the horseshoe went missing, then bad luck would come to the town. And then I think it was in the 60s, the horseshoe went missing. And that's when the, the uh, around the time that the, the textile industry, I could be wrong on this. Uh, my, my research was based mainly in the 17th century. But um, yeah, so she was very successful. I did go to Edinburgh, Edinburgh to try and find her graveside. She's, she's buried at the um, Greyfriars Kirk. And I couldn't find it. It was very frustrating, but I really wanted to find it. But uh, I, I was uh, talking to the, the docent there at the church, and he said, well, you know, she, was, she died in 1737, and our records only go up to 1700. But she, she was there. She was buried in the Todd family plot because her sister Elizabeth was married to a Todd and lived in Edinburgh. So I just, I really didn't have enough time. I only had a day. So I was, I'm going to go back and see if I can find it. You need to come back. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to come back. Yeah. Um, So my next, my next plan is just to shoot a proof of concept film. And I need to be in Scotland for that because one here in America, we don't have buildings old enough that look (laughs) You know, our buildings aren't that old and we tear everything down after 50 years and rebuild it anyway. And two, 
American actors cannot do Scottish accents to save their lives. Excellent. There are there is a wealth <laughs> of talent in Scotland, and absolutely, yes, I know, I know. Yeah. So um, that's on the horizon. Of this, you'll be welcomed as... with open arms by the um, Scottish creatives, and especially yeah. those who are from Paisley and you know Glasgow. There's there's a huge there's a huge amount of us. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I know, I know. So I, when I when I visited the uh, Paisley and 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 met Liz Gardner and Annette Whitelaw, they showed me around. You know, they took me to tea and took me to the oldest pub, uh, the Bull. I think it's called the Bull. I can't remember. Um, so that was very very nice. Of them. The Black Bull. The Black Bull. Yeah. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> And even in there, they have a plaque <laughs> talking about the Paisley witches. So they're famous in Paisley. Just need to get their story out. And then, you know, I oh, think yeah, after, after this film gets out, then other people's stories will start to be told. People's stories who have been erased or whitewashed or forgotten that are just as important as, uh, you know, the white man's history or the male history. You know, the victors write the history. The victors write the stories. There's so many stories that need to be told and that need to be taught in the schools mm. so people know their heritage, so people know that women did exist in history. It wasn't just men, you know, winning the wars and <laughs> building building empires. There were a lot of us, mm -hmm. half the population. Um, I was just wondering if uh, it would be possible to tease a little bit of the plot of your screenplay. The, oh, no. the plot, sure. Um, well, the plot opens with some of the morbid events that happened that led up to um, the religious frenzy. Um, John Lindsay of Barlock, I have him, I don't know that he did, but I have him as a working for uh, John Shaw, Laird of Bargaran. And he's walking across a, walking a cow across a field, and he comes across the body of Christian Shaw's grandfather, um, and is horrified by it. And then I I show the parents, the Montgomery, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Montgomery, who lost a baby suddenly, and um, let me see what else do I have. Gosh, I'm blanking. You don't need to get oh. us all because we'll, we'll I have I have Margaret Lang running through the forest. That's that's opens, and then we go forward a year to to just before when Christian started having her torment, and you, you introduce all the characters, and she gets named because, um, and she you know Margaret Lang when she heard that she was named by Christian Shaw. Now, in, in my story, this is how I fictionalized. I had to fictionalize the relationships between all the characters. Um, I created the, they did have an advocate in the trial. And as Margaret Lang had a daughter, whose name was Martha Semple, I thought, oh, maybe she was an unwed mother. Hmm, let's see. So I created a relationship between Margaret and the advocate, um, James Robertson, that they had a child out of wedlock and he was married. And that's why she left Edinburgh. Um, and he shows up and he's the new, he's the new school, uh, the parish headmaster. And she's like, don't, you know, please, I beg you, don't tell her secret because my daughter's life will be ruined. She'll be outcast. If you are outcast as a woman and you didn't have money, you had very few choices. You were either a prostitute or a vagabond beggar. And there were, you know, there were very, very, you know, there were very wealthy landed gentry. There were merchants and there were very poor people. Um, Entire families of vagabond beggars, the confessants were the Anderson family. They were an entire family. You know, their grandmother was said to be a witch. So it was also, you know, it was the beginning of the Age of Enlightenment, which people were still not embracing or didn't know of the sciences and why nature, you know, why does the sun 
come up and go down and why are there seasons? And they still had one foot back in superstition. So it really, it, it, it really is, I show in the screenplay, the tension, the, the back and forth, the tug between believing in superstition and religiosity and believing in science. And I have the advocate, James Robertson, as a devotee of science. He's a man of science. And so that's how I show the, uh, juxtapose the two ideologies and how that created such a tension and conflict. Um, and then it's pretty much, it follows, you know, it follows the story. Um, Christian caught their housemaid stealing a bit of milk for herself, Catherine Campbell, and she was fired and Catherine cursed Christian three times. Uh, the devil hurled har your soul through hell. And that was thought to be her, you know, you say the devil's, three the devil's name three times and you summon him. And then Christian started having, and, and Agnes Naismith was an old elderly vagabond beggar and she had stopped by the house and asked for some alms. And so it just seemed whoever was in Christian's orbit at the time when she started having these fits she imagined that they were tormenting her. There's something you just said there, and I think I think about it a lot. Um, and that idea about the vagabond and the older lady, and then, you know, the, the woman who is the, you know, scarlet woman and all of those things. And how these trial, trials are 400 years old, yet those things are still dangled on us as women in society you said it right at the beginning when you were talking about being an actor actress and starting out and you said about um you're either the bit of arm candy or you know a prostitute like it, yeah That's exactly we're we're, we're we're put into the you know the the virgin whore complex it's like which one madonna or the whore yeah yeah exactly and that's because all of the people writing the stories were men yeah, male playwrights, male screenwriters, historians. So what I have been doing with my theater company and my film company is changing the narrative. Yeah, letting women tell their stories, letting underrepresented underrepresented people tell their stories. So that's what I do. So I, so I'm really dedicated to doing that to to making socially impactful films. Yeah, and untold stories. It's it's so it, it's so great to meet because we're we're very the same about telling letting people have this plat a platform to tell their stories, um because and again you know the white voice has been heard for too long, um but there's something really uh, it's moving from theatre to film um what were the kind of bonuses of that and the negatives of that that you might have found because I would love to hear them just because I'm starting to be aware of time and it's funny no um when I, when I went back to school to to learn film there were so few women in the program so I graduated in 99 1999 I was the only woman in my cinematography class now you see a lot of female cinematographers but it wasn't that long ago and they somehow found out that I was an actress. So then I had to be the one that all of them shot, you know, so they, and I was made to feel, I was like the token. I'm like, you know what? I've been directing stage productions in New York. I think I can, you know, I think I can frame a picture better than you because I've been working in theater for such a long yeah. time. And I was older than most of them too. You know, I had got, I had returned after after a number of years so and isn't it was that an interesting dynamic sorry Julia but isn't that when it's like young men in a room and there's an older woman even yeah. if she's and only 10 years older that and in my screenwriting class it was really dominated by men as well and it was very toxic and I just call I, I had to call it out because like you know it, it just wasn't conducive to any type of community or or learning experience. And um, yeah, so it was, it was interesting. It was interesting. Um, but then I remember after I graduated and I was at, I think I was at a screening somewhere and just talking to somebody, you know, somebody in, in, you know, people that go to festivals 
I think it was a festival. And, you know, so, you know, what do you do? And I said, well, you know, I just, I just graduated from film school and I'm starting a film company because, well, 40, a woman your age starting, you think you're going to break into the film industry? Actually said that to me. I was like, okay, should I um, just like go out and kill myself? I mean, you know, I say that lightly, but I'm like, who no, are I you? And, and you are? And um, he wasn't, you know, any like funny. I how many Oscars do you have? You know, it's. I mean, but that was that. You know, that was something that I came up against, and I think every woman comes up against that at some point, in any industry, not just yeah. the film industry, not just theater, not just. I think theater was a little more welcoming, but um, film was very definitely. You know, women were shut out of the film industry for so many years, so many years. Do you, you know, think in, you noticed a shift in that? It's so slow. It's so, so slow for women, for people of color, for anybody other than uh, what has come before us, that it's, you know, this year, the Oscar nominations, um, Ari Wegener, who uh, a cinematographer was nominated, and I've been following her career for, for years because I love her work. And, and I thought, wow, who would I pick to, you know, if I, if I'm able to choose as a cinematographer and I thought definitely her, because I just love what she does, her vision and, and her, every, just everything that she does. And, you know, the, the, in the news, they were just announcing, isn't it wonderful? The second word, second woman in the history of the Oscars to be nominated for cinematography and I was like this isn't exactly a reason to celebrate it's like yes I'm happy for her but this is pathetic two in 94 years yeah it's embarrassing and then on social media I got a lot of grief from a man it's like well you're thinking of it glass half empty rather than half full and I was like no I'm thinking of dying of thirst okay that's what I'm thinking of it's like women have been shut out I'm like anyway so then I was mansplained. It's just, you know, it's, it just, it never ends. It just never ends. So I think the importance of what happened this week in Scottish Parliament will reverberate around the world. I really do believe that. And we have hope just, you know, yeah, I love being underestimated by men <laughs> because. Yeah. Absolutely do have hope. And I, we're, we're obviously starting to get close to time um and i want to hear a little bit more about um any other projects that you have in the pipeline because obviously this has taken up oh, yes, so I much do. of your time um, yes um i'm currently i'm doing the rain dance screenwriting fellowship right now and i'm creating a new uh a new piece a new project that is very exciting i tend to gravitate towards horror but Elevated horror only because I think it's the one genre that is the most relatable. Um, you know, romance, not everybody has love in their life, unfortunately, and not everybody can relate to that. Um, science fiction, not everybody's into that, but everybody at some point in their, some time in their lives have been afraid of something. And those things come back and haunt you. So you know, and anybody can look at, would be able to look at the Paisley witch trial and it would relate to them on some level, whether as a woman, as a person of color, as, you know, as an older person. I mean, there are very, very many levels in, in the elevated horror that I write that people can relate to. So, yeah, and that's, so this new project that I'm working on called Tracer is a interesting. It's um, what I wasn't planning on writing it. I was planning on for the month of January, just taking the month off and writing a first draft of another project that requires um, based on indigenous an indigenous tribe in the United States and gold prospectors in the 1900s and how their stories have become entwined. And when the story was told to me, I thought, well, these are two different stories. The story that was told to me makes the indigenous sort of the classic boogeyman story. And I'm like, no, that's not what it is. It's like, but I first need to um, uh, 
um, get consent and permission from the from the tribe for this. And I was working towards that. A friend of mine knows um, some tribal members in Alaska, but then. Sundance reached out to me about inviting me to apply to their producers fellowship. But I with uh, the condition is I cannot be the writer on the project. So I had to then find another project that, you know, ticked off all the boxes on my list that it's female centric, um, is written by a woman or a person of color, is, is socially impactful. And I actually found somebody, a great script. So waiting to hear about that. So then I just like, well, I needed something that I need to be working on in this fellowship. So I had an idea for a woman with special powers in their hands. And I had been thinking about, you know, during lockdown and during, during the whole pandemic as a performer and being in New York, I have so many of my friends are theater performers or dancers, choreographers, singers, musicians and while everyone's jobs and work lives were affected performers in particular not only lost their job but lost their identity and unlike any other profession performing is is a profession that in order to achieve proficiency you have to begin your training at 5 or 6 years old and you continue training until the day you stop performing. So I can't think of, besides gymnastics, I can't think of any other profession that requires that amount of dedication and hard work. So to see all of these performers out of work, losing their health insurance because they, they couldn't work, they couldn't accumulate the hours, you know, the union requires that you work so many hours in order to get your health insurance. It was, it was devastating for so many people, but. So the union didn't waive that during the pandemic? No, they didn't waive our dues either. I still had to pay my dues. I mean, we had to pay our dues um, here in the UK if we could. Um, Our union, like, and you can actually in the UK with equity, you can have a year break. Yeah. And still keep your membership. I know that our dues are like, so much less than what you pay in the US. Are they, are they really? For yeah, our, I think it dep- it's ours. Are we have we have two we have two unions, performing unions. Yeah, because you've got SAG. We have well. equity. We have SAG. SAG is very. And they're like, well, you know, you can have a payment plan. I'm like, oh, well, thanks. You know, <laughs> but you still have to pay your dues. I'm like, I'm not working <laughs> anyway. So, um, so and I thought, well, this story about the, you know, it's it's. I don't want to say it because it's a, it's a, it's something that I'm developing, but it's, I thought it, it, it applied. I thought it's, it's all of these performers. And it's like, if you don't appreciate, because it, during lockdown, you probably heard it in your country, you know, when you're in lockdown and you're on your sofa and you're just watching all these shows and performances that have been taped, remember who did it. If it weren't for us, you know, a little appreciation. Maybe you, we should be subsidizing our, our artists more. And I thought that's what this, that's what this film will, will, this is the analogy that I'm going to make with this film. So it's, you know, a few years in the future and it's 20, it, the film opened saying that in 2020 there was a worldwide pandemic and it, you know, killed um, over 600 million people in the first three years. Some of the people that some of the people survived developed an adverse reaction in their hands. And so a lot of those people were then abused by the government because it was a special gift. Anyway, I don't want to say any more about it. But no, I'm that's like, fine. Performer, it's like, that's who I'm dedicating this to. And it could be also an analogy for Earth itself, for the environment. So that's like, if you waste it, you will lose it. Mm. You know, that that the, the Little Prince and the Little Prince story by the Saint-Exupéry. I think it's the fox who says, if you don't love me enough, you'll lose me. And I think, you know, that absolutely applies to those people. Uh, frontline workers and also performers who, you know, this, this was, it was, 
it has been a trying time for all of us. And I hope people take away from what this was, where this once in a lifetime occurrence of this global pandemic, how people learned and, and, and are, are appreciating people more and realizing what is important in life. And I think, I think there has been a lot of that. People stepping back and saying, okay, we don't have to work this crushing, soul-sucking job. We don't have to work 60 to 80 hours a week. We don't, there is a better way to do what, what, what we're doing and to still feel appreciated and respected and feel like humans and feel included. So I think, you know, I think hopefully the silver lining in the cloud the dark cloud may be that. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, we'll see. We'll we'll see. We shall see. <laughs> time will tell, right? Yes. Um, Julia, I'm sure Louise will agree with me, could continue to speak to you um, for hours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very aware that you're in New York and, uh, you know, you've got the rest of your day ahead of you. <laughs> yes. um, but before we finish up, we do like to ask our guests a question. Um, so we're called persistent and nasty and mm-hmm. the reason that we're called that is um it's part of the persistent is from the elizabeth warren quote nevertheless she persisted, she persisted. Mm-hmm. and the nasty is about reclaiming the words um when the previous president of the u.s um, yes. was given facts by um uh, hillary clinton and you know yes uh, yes then called her a nasty woman for her day yes. to give him actual facts so it's all about you know we talked earlier as well about reclaiming those words so we're very much about reclaiming words um I'm a persistent nasty bitch I mean that's yeah that what you wanted me to say no I mean (laughs) absolutely (laughs) I love that you said that but we will absolutely keep that with the yeah the question was and what does persistent and nasty mean to you Julia Campanelli it means you can call me anything you like. It's not going to dissuade me from my goals or from my mission. And that is to elevate other people and their stories. That's it. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, Julia, thank you so much for your time and for talking through everything to do with your project by the Paisley Witch Trials and just how important it is this week in particular. I don't know about you, but I cried when, when, when I, I just watching that, I just like, I cried and 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 I had a big glass of champagne. It was just wonderful. And the fact that the government were smart enough to do it on International Women's Day as well was. um, And there's still a lot of people saying, well, why was so long ago? Why do you even bother? And yet I noticed some woman posted on, on, on Twitter yesterday, I think. She said, well, they just discovered the ship that Shackleton took to the Antarctic. And so much money has been put into discovering that and will be spent on, you know, researching that. And that was a long time ago, but nobody's saying, why are you doing that? You know, and that was a completely male endeavor. So exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, Julia, thank you so much. And um, yes, thank you can. for having me on. This has been so great. And when you do come to Scotland, please get. I will get in touch. Absolutely. Get in touch. We'll take you for a drink. We'll yeah, that'd be great. It would be lovely. Um, show me a place to eat in Glasgow because I I had a hard time finding. As oh, a, there. Someone, I you know with gluten free I you know have dietary restriction. I was like I can't find anything, but I think the places I was looking at were were geared more towards tourists. We'll get you. We'll, we've we've got <laughs> we've got some insider knowledge. We can sort right. that out for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Well, thank you both so much for having me, <laughs> Elaine and Louise. This has just been this has been a lovely treat, and congratulations to to Scotland for leading the way. I will say thank you on behalf of Scotland. Um, and until next time, lovely <laughs> listeners, stay nasty. nasty. Julia and I got it. Louise is okay. <laughs> 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 <laughs>